And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. I have my good friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmer's Memorial Hospital on the phone. Haven't talked in a couple of weeks. Pam, how are you? I'm absolutely wonderful. I'm looking outside and I'm seeing sunshine and it's October and it's not freezing cold and it's not snowing. So everything is good. Lucky we didn't talk last week because it wasn't so warm last week, was it? No, last week was not good, and I got my winter clothes out already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got hopefully you kept the summer clothes out at least for another week or two because it looks looks pretty good. So, give us a little update on uh, on your COVID patient census, if you would. Yes. Um, so the news on the COVID front is not so good. You know, we have been doing really, really well, and um, just recently our cases are jumping back up again. So currently, last time we talked, two weeks ago, we had seven positive inpatients with 24 awaiting results. And today we have 19 positive inpatients with two awaiting results, and three of those are on ventilators, which we haven't talked about ventilators in a while because primarily we hadn't been using them for COVID patients. So we are now starting to see that as well. Deaths last time was 88, and we've had two additional deaths. Um, Moving on to DuPage County. Uh, Last time, DuPage County had 16,799 cases. They're up to 18,414 cases. And last time, they had 550 deaths. I think I had said 650, but I meant 550. And now we're up to 570 deaths. The state has gone from 275,735 to 305,011 cases. And deaths have jumped from 8,457 up to 8,836 cases. But there are two pieces of good news. We went from 546 discharges to 568 discharges. Um, And we went, uh, and the state's recovery rate went back up to 96%, which is really excellent news. So what do you, if anything, what would you attribute the spike to? Do you think it's uh, kids going back to school and people just being out as a result relates to that, or is it something else? I think it's people getting a little lax on uh, maintaining their social distancing and following all the rules and not being as careful. When I look at, so I see every day all the people who are positive from the day before. So I see all the age ranges and, you know, a lot of these are families all being positive. There's ages we've had uh, four-month-old and we had a hundred-year-old yesterday. So it's all ages all, um, you know, all types of people, all nationalities. And I just think people have gotten a little bit more uh, lax and they're not as stringent in making sure that they're wearing their masks. And I think um, I was interesting One of my friends was in Boston this weekend and she said in Boston there, everybody wears a mask everywhere, even in outside all of their restaurants. And even if it's outside, they've put a plexiglass between people. Um, they, they take everybody's temperature everywhere they go. So it's much more stringent there in their precautions than I think even we are here. And we've, we've been pretty good compared to places like Wisconsin and Indiana. So I think people have to be really, really 
uh, diligent and make sure that they are wearing their masks all the time, that they don't get too comfortable, they're washing their hands, they're making sure they're not touching their face, you know, all of the precautions that we've gone over all these months have to stay in place until this is under control. That touching your face thing is really hard to avoid if you're somebody who rests your chin on your hand or something like that. It's so hard to avoid, but um, hopefully people are, are getting better as it relates to that. So, you know, I know one of the keys to getting past this, in addition to maybe having a vaccine at some point, is increasing testing capabilities. Is there anything new on that front? So I'll just review where we're at with testing. We currently still have four different COVID test systems running in our laboratory. The M2000, which is our largest automated batch analyzer, and that is running at maximum capacity, which is 450 tests per day. That's an old machine, so it's broken down a few times, so we've had to repair it, but it's the workhorse that's getting a lot of things done. Our other three COVID testing platforms include the Abbott ID Now test, um, which has the faster turnaround times, but we've been having problems getting enough reagents. We did get more reagents, and so we're being able to use it a little more again, which is why we probably don't have as many inpatients waiting result, test results, because, um, you know, with, with the 19 inpatients being positive but only two waiting test results, that's because we were able to get test results back faster. Um, in addition, we have uh, two other in-house tests, and then we uh, have outside laboratories that we're working with. And um, so with all of that, we have about 800 tests per day we can do in the outside laboratories, and um, we're only sending out about 200. We are in the process of looking at purchasing one more analyzing machine um, from Abbott. We're hoping to get that in, in the next um, few weeks. And if we get that, then we would be able to run even more tests and um, get have a little faster turnaround on those tests. Do you generally use a different set of tests for the inpatients versus the outpatients? Well, we, we do a different um, machine that we run the testing on because for the input, when we're trying to get somebody in, we try to get the results back faster because of all of the precautions we have to take and all of the personal protective equipment we have to use while we're waiting for a test result back, and we don't want to waste personal protective equipment. So if we can get those tests back faster, first of all, we know what we're doing with the patient, and secondly, we don't have to waste equipment if they are negative because we'll test everybody, not, not just ones with symptoms of COVID. I've read a lot about uh, lingering symptoms of folks that have suffered from COVID, including um, anxiety, rashes, memory problems. One in particular that I actually have a, a friend who is suffering from is hair loss. And I just wonder if you're seeing a lot of these type of after effects and if there are any others that maybe uh, I'm not familiar with. Uh, well, I don't know if a lot, but we are seeing the hair loss. We are seeing memory loss. We're seeing um, extended time frame for loss of taste and smell. And then we're seeing uh, people who are having blood clots um, post, you know, as a, a side effect of the COVID. Like in their legs and things like that or all over? All over. Depends. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that some of those effects might be as a result of the treatment, not necessarily the, the disease? So we haven't seen any of it be a result of treatment, um, but obviously we're closely monitoring that since all these treatments are very, fairly new, but 
but at this moment, no. So, you know, you and I are both parents and we know, you know, kids get runny noses. They, they get sick a couple times a year. How can we tell whether or not, you know, our child's illness is COVID or maybe just uh, a common cold or the flu, or, or do we have to just assume it's COVID until we know otherwise? So, you know, with children, when they're not feeling well, um, you know, it's very hard to tell the difference between a common cold, COVID, and the flu. And so we do have a, a piece on our website you can look up and we'll try to discern some of the differences, but there, it's going to be really hard to tell. And we always say, do not take a chance with your child. Contact your pediatrician and review the symptoms with them and they will help you know if you need to access testing. Um, more testing is probably better than less. You know if you've had any patients in the hospital that have had both uh, the flu and COVID at the same time? Uh, I don't know that we've had them. What we've had here, I mean, we know that you can have both at the same time. What we've had seen is somebody who's had COVID and strep throat. So that's something going on around right now is strep throat. And um, so some people have come in to get tested um, for COVID and had strep throat tests and had had, had both. Does that present an increased risk factor having more than one? Thing going on at the same time as it relates to the COVID? Not necessarily. It's just, you know, your body has to fight them both off at once. So you're going to have to rest longer and it may take a little longer to get better, but not necessarily in terms of whether you're going to recover or not. So this was a big news week in relation to the president of the United States testing positive for COVID. And there were reports that at least a couple of times his O2 levels, his oxygen levels in his blood had dropped. Um, does that happen in a typical flu also, or is this a very unique to COVID? Well, it doesn't usually happen with the flu, but it can. Um, it's, it's probably more unique to COVID in that it's happening more frequently, but it can happen with the flu if somebody has, um, you know, develops a pneumonia from the flu or if they have con- uh, con- uh, congestive um, pulmonary disease, COPD, they can have trouble with their oxygen levels, especially if they're, you know, have increased activities and then their oxygen might drop. So it's not unheard of with the flu, but not just not as frequent as with COVID. Would a typical COVID patient that had mild symptoms even realize their oxygen levels were dropping? Well, in most cases, mild COVID doesn't cause you to have your oxygen drop. Um, but as your symptoms wor- worsen, then you could have your oxygen dropping and not realize it because you're just focused on your symptoms and not necessarily the fact that your oxygen is dropped. That's why we were giving people who came into the um, emergency department little um, spirometers, or not spirometers, um, O2 monitors to be able to put on their finger while they're at home to monitor their oxygen levels when they're at home because they may not necessarily be feeling short of breath, but their oxygen might have been going down. And so if we wanted to make sure that they were safe, you know, if they had COVID and they, we didn't hospitalize well, them. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but based on what you just said, maybe there's a good chance that the president's uh, case was not a real mild one, as uh, has been reported <laughs> by some outlets. Uh, so, <laughs> And I cannot address uh, that. <laughs> I'm sure you can. You don't want to go there. Um, so, you know, it was reported that he had fairly mild symptoms and they administered steroids and remdesivir. Um is that normal in a mild case? 
Well, it's unusual to have them disappear that early. Usually it's when you've progressed a little bit along. Um, but we don't really know what his circumstances were, so we don't know why they started with remdesivir with him. Maybe just precautionary, but who knows. I have seen other people who had access to remdesivir utilize it on, to be more preventative up front. It's just not normal. Okay. So I, I've heard also that he's not completely out of the woods and that there are cases where patients relapse. And my question to you is, if you had some folks that have relapsed, maybe have been released from the hospital and they need to come back? We have had people relapse and have to come back both from the hospital and from the emergency department where they were not in bad shape in the emergency department, went home and got worse and had to come back. It's a small percentage, and usually when they come back, what, the reason they have to come back is they've now got pneumonia or dehydration, and we're needing to give them oxygen. So I visited Elmhurst Memorial Hospital recently for a business meeting, and I know uh, that uh, there are folks at the doors, as you've said many times, screening folks that enter and taking the uh, folks temperature. So I had my temperature taken. And, and my question to you is, are there people that, that walk in and don't think they have a temperature and, and they're found to have one, so to speak? Well, yes, it's very small percentage, less than probably 1% have presented with fevers. And when we find that, we do make sure that we help them get in contact with their primary care physician so that they can have follow-up right away. 180 and go right out the door, right? They go out the door, but we help them get everything well, set up. Smart. How are uh, PPP supply levels? I haven't asked about that in a long time. Well, our PPE supplies are um, okay right now. We do know that there is going to be a national shortage of the nitrile gloves, gloves, which are the kind that help with the most protection and that we use within the hospital. And so we have been trying to get more and more of it. So right now, we that's why we are so close to monitoring how much PPE we use. And so we've been checking that daily, and we're okay. So we're hoping that... We'll be okay through the shortage as it comes up. So I've noticed on some of your social media um, posts that uh, the hospital and the health system has put out a take a hike challenge. And I like to hike. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how somebody could participate? Well, um, the Take a Hike Challenge can be for everybody and anybody. You don't even have to be somebody who likes to hike. You can have it as fun. And all you have to do is go on our website, www.eehealth.org, slash healthy, dash driven, slash take a hike, and slash. And when you go on there, it will give you directions. It's a weekly thing. It started September 14th, and it goes through November 9th. And it's just little weekly hiking challenges, and it gives you fun things to do. So for like week number four, uh, people are supposed to ID what tree, identify what trees that you're seeing by the leaf. So uh, the Morton Arboretum's Common Illinois Tree Identification Guide helps you discover what tree are you passing by. And it's just fun just to get out there and look around and see things and, and great with stress and getting fresh air and being active and being as healthy as you can be, which we know helps you prevent having bad effects of COVID. I agree. I think uh, the outdoors is a great prescription for better health. And I have noticed that the colors this year are starting and they look like they're going to be very bright, vibrant compared to last year. Last year was kind of dull. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if you've noticed some of that starting. 
I think it's beautiful out there. It really is. I think absolutely. And this is going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of that, it's Halloween. And um, a Halloween. lot of towns are struggling on whether or not to hold trick-or-treating and how to do that in a safe manner. And I know Elmhurst in particular has said they are going to hold trick-or-treating and they've got some some guidelines. And I just wonder if, if uh, the folks at the hospital might have any advice for families wanting to celebrate Halloween. Well, we we actually follow the CDC guidelines for celebrating Halloween. So if you are interested, you can go to the CDC website. And they just pu- published Halloween Safety for Families. And, um, you know, and they will help you with what would be best for your family. So I, I printed it, so I would have it. It um, gives you low-risk activities, moderate-risk activities, and high-risk activities, so you can see what would be good for you and your family. You know, and a lot of the things are around celebrating. Halloween is a celebration, and so celebrating by decorating pumpkins and celebrating by decorating your home and doing things together and having virtual Halloween costumes. We've, we're all doing things new virtually. So, um you know, if food has to be involved, you want to follow good hand hygiene and making sure that nobody's reaching into a bag and grabbing a bunch of candy and then other people are reaching into the same bag. So you want to make sure things are hand are washed and uh, and put far apart in little bags so people pick them each one up and not go near each other. Um, it's really about still maintaining social distance, having, if they're wearing a Halloween costume, making sure there's a mask underneath it, not going door to door, but doing things from a socially distant way. But we want to have fun with our kids. So we don't want people to feel like everything has changed so much and we're not able to have any fun at all. Well, that uh, sounds like good advice because uh, not having any fun can lead to many things, including depression. And my last question, uh, you know, I, I'd like to ask you about mental health and um, just wondering if the health system is seeing an increase in uh, depression and anxiety among young folks, especially those that are uh, not used to not seeing their friends as much as they used to because they're at home learning online. You know, I feel so much for both kids, adolescents, and adults during all of this time. So the answer is yes. We are seeing an increase in volumes in our adolescent programs in particular, both needing to be hospitalized and those that are needing to be in outpatient programming. What we're seeing are increased suicidal thoughts, increased depression, increased anxiety, and increased substance abuse. Um, And this, this issue is not just being seen locally here, but it's regionally and nationally. We're also seeing an increase in anxiety. Um, you know, with everything going on, I think anxiety has been uh, one of the biggest things that has increased, both for the children, so children that are not able to sit still. Children learning on the computer is very different than learning in a classroom. And so kids who may have mild forms of attention deficit disorder, that's coming out, That things that hasn't been identified in the past, this comes out and then anxiety for parents because you know especially a single parent trying to juggle helping their kid get through schooling and being able to work is is very difficult so we're seeing it across the board and um and again i say please find things to help you deal with depression or deal with anxiety. So there's on our website, there's mindfulness tools that you could use. There's a list of uh, what 
kinds of symptoms to look for in your teen that might mean that they're increased in um, suicidality. I just went to a wake on a young person who committed suicide. There's actually several of my friends have gone to other wakes on suicide, you know, teens that have committed suicide. I think it's so, so sad and so scary. And I want everybody to not have to go through that. So please look on our website. There's all kinds of symptoms to look for. So things such as change, change in sleep habits, withdrawing, being more irritable, um, not not feeling like they have a purpose in life, feeling like they're a burden, um, you know, anger, rage, acting out behaviors, more drug use that you've not seen, looking different than they've looked in the past, maybe not taking showers or talking about death. A lot of times if people are suicidal or are anxious, they're going to let give you clues. And so we can't be so busy and worried about our own things that we're going on that we don't pay attention to what's going on with our kids. And please, if you see anything, f- please reach out for help. There's nothing wrong with reaching out for help. That's what we're here for, and it is confidential, and we want to make sure everybody is safe during this time. Yeah, d- depression can be a downward spiral, and I just hope that family members and friends that recognize it and their their loved ones, uh, you know, step forward and do the right thing and get those folks help. So thanks for that advice, and uh, I encourage you to uh, to get out a little today and this week. It looks so beautiful out there, like you said at the at the beginning of the show. So uh, hopefully you'll take care of your mental health and, and get out and enjoy yourself a little bit. I certainly will, and I hope the same for you. And I hope everybody that's listening is, is just enjoying this weather while it's here because before we know it, it will be winter. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pam. Appreciate it. Take care. This is Aaron Jason, Business Development Coordinator for the City of Elmhurst. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic, Sal, is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland, and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey friends, Slappy Sal here for the Eat Town Lowdown, here to tell you about a new place to eat in Eat Town. It's called Primos Locos, or Cugini Pazzi, for all you Italians out there, or uh, Crazy Cousins if you speak British. So Primos Locos opens up in the old McNally's location on York Road, just down the street from the tracks near downtown. So in honor of their name, I grabbed my two craziest cousins, Big Head Mike and Jimmy the Fish, and we headed over there to try it out. Instead of ordering separately, we just got a table full of tacos and we split them all up. You know what I mean? We had carne asada, al pastor, you know, pork shoulder, and chicken. And then we had to get fish for Cousin Jimmy. And you know what? They were all good. The people behind us looked like they ordered up some enchiladas and some fajitas, but I couldn't see on account of Mike's big head getting in my way. But it all smelled fantastic. The other thing about Primo's Locos is the drinks. Good quality tequila put in handcrafted cocktails like margaritas. And they also got Mexican craft beers on draft from a brewery in Chicago called uh, Hasa Humilde, or Humble House. Two brothers started it out in the Hermosa neighborhood. Great beers, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So me and my Cugini sat around, ate some tacos, had some drinks. It was a good time. 
Legit, authentic food and nice environment. After we're done, me, Big Head Mike, and Jimmy the Fish argued about how to say Uber in Spanish. But ultimately, the driver came and took us back to the old neighborhood. So in summary, Primos Locos gets the Cugini seal of approval. Go enjoy some chips and guac, have a drink, and relax. Remember what Mark Twain once said. Part of the secret of success in life is to eat what you like and let the food fight it out on the inside. This is Slappy Sal reporting for the E-Town Lowdown. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.